Do you find yourself wondering, when will it all end? Recognizing that much of the world is in a dark place, but you still have the hope and faith that there is a solution. Deep inside, you know you can make a difference. You're just not sure where to start. How would you feel if I tell you that life coaches are leading the way to guide millions of people to better and a more fulfilled life? And that I have developed an industry-certified training program that will get you going to play this valuable role. At the Jay Shetty Certification School, we use proven techniques and methods based on the principles of positive psychology to create possibilities people never thought they could achieve before. These are the same approaches that I've developed during my training as a monk and I'm still using with great success today to make a difference in the work that I do. I believe that if we can make it a mission to work together to impact more lives more deeply, we can make an incredible difference that will steer the world to a better place for all of us. So are you ready to take the next step to help change the world by becoming a part of the Life Coach Movement? Visit jsheddycoaching.com to speak to us today to find out how you can get started to help make a difference. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every one of you. And I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I can't believe it. My new book, Eight Rules of Love, is out and I cannot wait to share it with you. I am so, so excited for you to read this book, for you to listen to this book. I read the audiobook. If you haven't got it already, make sure you go to eightrulesoflove.com. It's dedicated to anyone who's trying to find, keep, or let go of love. So if you've got friends that are dating, broken up, or struggling with love, make sure you grab this book. And I'd love to invite you to come and see me for my global tour, Love Rules. Go to jshedytour.com to learn more information about tickets, VIP experiences, and more. I can't wait to see you this year. And today I have a very special episode. A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of speaking with a dear friend of mine, someone who I respect and admire so much, the one and only Will Smith. And I'm not joking you, it's an hour and 45 minutes, but you're going to want to get out your pen and a piece of paper or your notepad or your journal, and you're going to want to take notes. This is without a doubt, one of the deepest, most reflective conversations that we've ever had on On Purpose. Will and I have had many of these conversations offline, and I can't wait for you to hear it today. It would mean the world to me if you leave a review after you listen to this podcast, it makes a big difference to On Purpose and I can't wait to read some out on the next episode. Are you ready? Let's go. Will Smith, everybody. Will Smith, everybody. Please welcome Will Smith. Philadelphia. You know, I want to be an idea. I want to represent possibility. I want to represent magic. Thank you, thank you. Today, we're going to dive in to the mind, the heart, and the soul of the man behind the movies and the music, and my dear, dear spiritual brother and friend. So without any further ado, I just want to say I'm grateful, I'm humbled, I'm so happy to have spent so many special moments with you over the past year. This sounds romantic now, my wife's going to get worried again. <laughs> but uh, but I mean it, man. Been spending a lot of time with Will. Yeah, right? she's never felt she's never felt uncomfortable about my relationship apart from. Me. 
The only yeah, time no. she's doubted me is like, oh, another trip with Will. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why this time she came along. I uh, know. But, yeah, uh, no. we, cer- we certainly have some pictures, that, you know, <laughs> waterfalls, you know, <laughs> glaciers. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we, we definitely didn't even take all the pictures. Know, but, right. No, no. But, uh, but no, thank you, man. This is, uh, this is going to be special and... I'm just excited for us to serve together in this way. No, this is this is fantastic. It's, it's uh, been a long time coming for us to sit down like this. For the people listening, it's probably been a year. We're running up on a year now, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, 10 months or something yeah. like that. Yeah, That uh, I've been studying with Jay. Uh, I fe- fell in love with the Bhagavad Gita. And uh, Jay and I have been spending time. We've been hanging. We've been traveling together. And Jay has really been the, the catalyst for this next phase of my life. We, we have uh, committed to one another in a brotherhood of service and support. I guess we've been in the gym. <laughs> you know, we, we've been the in, this, in, the, in the soul gym uh, working out for the past eight months. And this is really, this is our first time doing anything that's, a, a, that's public facing. So yeah. uh, I'm excited to talk about uh, what we've you know, been working on. And uh, Jay's been working with my, my family pretty much uh, every day. A new Smith uh, <laughs> starts to uh, study with, with Jay. Beautiful and also, our teacher, Radhanath Swami. So it's been uh, it's been a beautiful year, and I'm very excited to to start talking to people about what we've been studying and learning and uh, doing together. Absolutely, man. And I also want to say too, like I think it's rare where you you get to sit down with someone that you've got to know intimately and closely. Mm-hmm. And also when you sit down, and I've I've probably watched. I'm trying to think. I think I've watched every interview you've ever done, like over the years. Before I met you, when yeah, I met yeah, you, yeah. I'm always talking to you. I'm like, oh, I remember you said this five years ago or 10 mm-hmm. years ago you were saying this. And when I'm sitting down with you now, I'm thinking, you know, it's... I remember the first time I properly met you was at Willow's birthday a few years mm-hmm. back. And everyone was wearing... It was Willowween. Yeah. So everyone was dressed in costumes and stuff. So mm-hmm. I didn't even know it was you. Mm-hmm. And then you had, you had like the Zorro kind of mask over yeah. your eyes. <laughs> And so it was a big person. I was like, oh, maybe that's Will, maybe that's not. I didn't know. And then you lifted your mask off. And the thing I recognized you about from the moment I met you was just your ability to just be really present and deeply there with everyone you meet. Yeah, and, and And I felt that from the moment I met you. And then I remember we did the Thanksgiving event at your home. Yeah. And even that day, me and, my, me and Radhi left feeling like, wow, like Will was just introducing us to everyone and like mm-hmm. making an effort f- for us to feel like family and for and so but yeah. but i remember that and that was the hospitality men radhi felt with you like that mm-hmm. that ability to care for each person walking in the family yeah, yeah. aspect making us feel welcomed and a part of it that mm-hmm. I, I just think that that in today's world that human aspect yeah. is what we're all missing yeah and I, th- I think that's a that um is a a part of my DNA, you know, um, part of it from difficult aspects of my childhood, you know, I I grew up with violence in my home, you know, so um, I developed, you know, a really acute emotional sense 
you know, out of defense. You know, I just needed to make sure that my father was okay. I needed to make sure things were going well. And I just became really hypersensitive to emotional movement in a room as a, as a defense mechanism. And then as I, you know, grew and as I started to uh, develop that, you know, that heightened sense that started out as defense, as I settled down and, you know, came into a, a deeper understanding of my power and my desires in the world, it was easier to connect to people in a loving way. It, it, trans, it transferred easily from a defense mechanism to an ability to love and, and care for people. Yeah. That's, that's amazing, though, that you were able to process it positively. I feel like we're living at a time, we've talked about this before, that our childhood experiences form our adult desires. Absolutely. And I feel like now people are starting to hear that in the conversation where they're like, oh, yeah, because this happened with my parents. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now I feel like this. Tell us a bit about what you learned and how you were able to process it positively and engage with it mm -hmm. rather than create a negative story from it. Because yeah. a lot of people may see violence and react differently. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think that um, there's always uh, an aspect of us that when we feel unloved, you know, in any capacity, in any relationship, when we feel unloved, uh, when we feel mistreated, when we feel uh, somehow disrespected, it's a natural reaction to want revenge. And I think that's what happens with most people, specifically in our, in our most vulnerable stages when we're children, and we haven't done anything to deserve that kind of treatment. Um, it's really hard for the ego to not click into revenge. So the problem is that when you seek revenge, you destroy yourself. Mm. And that's the paradoxical conflict that we all live in. Yeah. Someone has mistreated us. We want revenge, but if we take it, we hurt ourselves more. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. It's right? Bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so that is the, uh, as Radhanath Swami referred to, the perplexing situation that we find ourselves in. And the only answer is loving kindness. Mm -hmm. And most of us don't want to hear that. It's like, I'll take my chances with revenge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take my chances with punching this dude in the face or cussing this girl out or whatever it takes, but I can't do loving kindness. Yeah. And for me, I had such a beautiful example of loving kindness in my grandmother when, when I was growing up. I always knew I wanted to be that the way that she loved and cared for people. Um, I didn't realize that her giving was connected to her peace. That was something that, that I got a, a concept of later. But I always knew that that was my example. And I think that's the critical part. We need, we need an example. Somebody has to be an example. Human beings are creatures of example. We need, we, you got to see it. Yeah. You know, so that's really where I am in my life right now, I, I want to show what it looks like to be loving and kind and giving 
and forgiving, and, and I, I just wanna, I wanna model those virtues as best I can. Yeah. You know, the thing you were saying, it's amazing how the thing we think that's gonna help us feel better yes. is actually what makes us feel worse. Yep. And you hold on to it because somewhere inside of you, you feel you have to be the person to show that person yes. <laughs> the truth. Like you feel like it's yes. your responsibility. Yes. The hammer, you're gonna be the hammer of justice. Yeah, and so you carry that. <laughs> and, and it reminds me of, there was this thing, that this, this lesson that we were talking about and sharing in, in our meetings was, um, this quote by Russell Barkley where he said, uh, people who need the most love ask for it in the most unloving ways. Absolutely. And when you, when you kind of put that in your head, you're like, mm -hmm. oh, like that's, that's, that's just a plea, a, a begging. A begging, yeah. A literal like, it's not even a proposal, it's like a demand it's for a love. It's a demand, absolutely. And, and, and you were saying that, and, and I love what you said then, that's why I'm bringing it back to what I was saying earlier, the reason why I was, highlighting the personal aspect of you is that I think that the example that you're setting through who you can be is even more than what you've done. Mm -hmm. yeah. What you've done is amazing and there's nothing to be taken away from it. It's mm -hmm. phenomenal what you're achieving and what you continue to achieve. But being able to do that with a loving heart, yeah. that yeah. must be... I mean, how does that feel internally? Does that also feel that way or, or no? Is that, are you like, no, no, Jay, no, the, the, success, the success feels way better than that, Jay. Yeah. You don't get it. But no, but you know, we, we, yeah. had, that, we had that conversation and that, there, was a, there was a real period in my life that I had to, to struggle with, we can win or I can be nice. Hmm. Pick one, <laughs> right? And different people pick different things. Right. You know, it's like there, you know, for for the type of material world climbing, you know, that that I did for a, a big chunk of my life, it was military minded. Mm. You know, we're going to get that flag to the top of that hill and you are going to help or you're not going to be here. Right. So that's that's one mindset. And then after I got the flag to the hill a couple of times and kept getting the flag to the hill and realized that you don't feel good and you've scorched earth, <laughs> you know, <laughs> around you and you're like, nobody, nobody's really happy, you know. And then I started to have to question that mindset. You know, I had one of the greatest runs in Hollywood history, you know, eight number one movies all over a hundred domestic biggest global movie star all of that and my family was miserable and i had equated winning with happiness right it's like we're winning what is y'all problem you know <laughs> <laughs> you know and the transition from product focus like military minded get to the top of that hill and then I shifted into a mindset, and it was really my kids who brought me out of that, a shift into discovering, like, well, damn, people really care about how they feel. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, and yeah. As, as crazy as that sounds, no, like, you know, you know my, my father wasn't concerned with how I felt, you know? He wasn't concerned with how he felt. 
he was military minded. You achieved the mission. And there's two possibilities. When I give you a mission, there's two possibilities. One, you complete the mission, or two, you're dead. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. what my father was saying. I grew up with that. Oh, cool, right? I actually had to discover feelings, right? And start like, I used to have to really focus. Okay, how's this person feel? How's this person feel? Not what do I need them to do? And not they're wasting our time right now and we're losing time and we're going to not finish this mission, right? Mm. But there's a, there is a balance between the mindset of achieving and loving kindness that at this point in my life, I've actually discovered the magical balance, but it's really hard yeah. to get people to let go of the attack and defend achievement mindset and trust the care and concern for your fellow humans as a way of creating higher production. Yeah, yeah. I hope everyone who's listening and watching right now is taking this in because I think what you're painting is a very transparent, honest picture of our minds. Yeah, yeah. Like I can relate to what you're saying. So I can relate to times in my life where I've been so about winning mm -hmm. and success and, and numbers or whatever it may have been. And, and I know I'm not even becoming the person I want to be Absolutely. in that process. And I don't even like myself. Yep. But because you're choosing to like yourself because of what you're achieving, yep. you're finding a new way to like yourself, mm -hmm. but not over who you really are. Yep. And so I just hope everyone who's listening and watching, you know, when you sometimes will it's so it's so extreme because you've got so close to that emotion mm -hmm. that sometimes people can think oh no that's a bit extreme I'm a bit more balanced yeah. but really we all have I that know. kind of does that make sense like yeah. we all have a bit of that extreme instinct inside of us in mm -hmm. some area of our life yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's sometimes a delusion to feel oh I'm actually balanced like yeah, yeah, we sometimes yeah, yeah. listen and go oh yeah no that's him no, like that's him his father was military yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, but I'm, I'm I'm balanced you know and we always feel we always feel we're balanced we're ba yes like, exactly we're, I felt like I was balanced. <laughs> yeah. I felt like I was balanced. And you can learn something from the extremes also, right? Yeah. And when you, when you look at athletes, there's a certain extreme mindset that we worship, that there's a poisonous edge to that kind of discipline. And I've been to the edge of that kind of material world discipline in my mind. And I can tell you, you can have a whole lot of stuff and be miserable out there mm. on that edge. And I found a much more comfortable and productive space in my life. And you still need that discipline. Yes. But it, it, it's like when, you're, when you use that kind of power to achieve things, there's a... Uh, a uh, brutal reckoning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a brutal reckoning at the, at the end of that. But the amazing thing about you is you've been on that path in that direction. I think people sometimes see these flips where they're like, oh, yeah, now that you are rich and successful and famous, now mm. you're going this way. But yeah. actually, from our conversations and how you've shared with the family or even when we've uh, worked with some of the friends in your life, it's like this has actually been a long process. Absolutely. This isn't just... 10, 12 months. This isn't just a couple of years. This is planted a seed from your grandmother yes, through your whole life to absolutely. always be reminded of it, to study spiritual paths, world religions, to study yep. philosophies. Like, this is just a long process. Tell me about 
that belief your grandmother had in you. Mm-hmm. And tell me a bit about how she planted that deep seed, because I think what you said at the beginning, that we need that example, I think everyone, if they really reflected, there'd be someone in their life, either indirectly or yeah. directly, yeah. but sometimes we forget them. But when we've been talking and everything, your grandmother's been such a pivotal figure. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd love for you to share what you think she did that was so powerful, because maybe there are some parents listening today and yeah. brothers and sisters and grandmothers and grandparents listening today and they'll be able to do that for their children and grandchildren. Absolutely. Well, my father, my mother, and my grandmother, whenever I think about the, the three of them, I, I picture a triangle in my mind. And I see, like, my father was the, the base uh, as discipline. And my mother didn't care about anything but education. Like, that you had to learn, grow, study, travel. Like, my, you know, my mother was really serious about educating the mind. And uh, my, my grandmother was love and God. My grandmother was that grandmother at Resurrection Baptist Church. And she had, you know, we were doing our Easter recitations and we was at the nativity, you know. <laughs> so she was that, she was that grandmother at the church and her life was deeply devoted to God and Jesus in the form of loving service, mm. right? So the form that it took was she was working hard to love everybody. You know, my, I remember my grandmother uh, bringing homeless people into our house when we were little and washing them in our bathtub. I thought that was the nastiest thing. I was like, ah! But she would be in the bathroom with her hands washing homeless people, you know. And as a child, it was like, no! <laughs> but as I grew older... I just, I just saw how dedicated and devoted she was to living her life in service. Mm. It took me 50 years to figure, you know, <laughs> to figure out what the secret of that was, you know. But I just watched her. She worked the, the, the graveyard shift at the hospital. And she watched us, my brothers and sisters, during the day while my parents were at work. You know, and then when my parents got off work, then she went, she would take a little nap and then she would go to work at the hospital, you know, and she was the, just the, the, the happiest person that I had ever met. Nothing faced her. She was okay. And I remember I was about 12 and I had started rapping. And, you know, so I had my rap books. I had all, of my, all my little curse words and everything <laughs> in my rap book. And she found my rap book, and she, she never said anything, and she just opened the cover, and she wrote uh, a letter to me. Um, Dear Willard, truly intelligent people do not have to use words like this to express themselves. Uh, God has given you the gift of words. Be sure to use those words to uplift people. And, I, you know, I was, <laughs> I was sitting, I was reading that, and just love Gigi. Yeah. And, you know, that was part of the reason why I never used profanity in any of my music. Yeah. And it was like she missionized me in that way to make sure that what I was doing 
was uplifting others. I've always been blessed to be in a position where I've never had to make a decision like that. When you're telling stories, you can always find the part of the story that is a gift for the potential upliftment of somebody that would see it. But yeah, she was all God, all love. (laughs) You know, I grew up in a military household. There are certain emotional drawbacks to that. There are intellectual and organizational pluses that are hard to beat. You know, my my father was really strict on order, organization, and the incremental completion of tasks. And, you know, also combined with my mother's push on education uh, as a really young child, you know, we had to put hospital corners on our beds and our shoes were lined up. And, you know, at, at six years old, we were forced to think along those military lines. Um, and everything was a mission. There was nothing that was a basic task. You weren't just going to wash the dishes. <laughs> you know, it was a mission that had to be completed with, you know, military precision down to how much dishwashing liquid you're using and how much the bottle cost. And if you use that much and how many dishes do you wash with that amount of dishwashing liquid liquid, and how long are you going to be able to use this dishwashing bottle so you can relate that to how much work you have to do to be able to wash that many. Your dad sounds Indian. Yeah. <laughs> To say, I was like, so, Willis, you dead, isn't you? Like, that's like, well, that's more, that is intense. Yeah, you know, so it was really, you know, his, his mind was like that. And I took, you know, we always take the things we hate the most from our parents. But, you know, from that, the, the gift of structure and the gift of breaking tasks down into smaller, manageable pieces was a thing that I came out of my childhood with. This is one of my favorite parts about talking to you because of this ability to, to turn those into gifts. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I want to just emphasize that point to everyone who's listening and watching again because I think we're living in a time right now where th- there's a lot of bitterness towards parents yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and what we've received. And, and, some, and rightly so as well. Like some things are, you know, quite hard to deal with that level of trauma, etc. But at the same time, when we start looking at our lives this way, not in a, not in a fake way or an ingenuine way, but right. but really start to process some of these things to see the powers that it gave us. Absolutely. All, all the superheroes that we all love in sci-fi movies, yeah. they all got their powers from bad things that yes, happened to exactly. them. Like, no one ever had something good happen to them. And then they, like for Spider-Man, he got bit by a spider. By, yeah, and for I this never, person, yeah. like got abandoned by his parents. Like all the superheroes we all love and worship yeah. all got their powers from something bad happening to them. Yeah. You know, it's really difficult to say that to someone yeah. in the middle of the, the throes and of you a traumatic experience. We've talked yeah, about we've that. talked about that, right? But, yeah. you know, from sitting on this side of the experiences that I've shared in my life and in my experience, there's no such thing as a bad experience, mm-hmm. Right. There's experiences you don't like. And they hurt. And they hurt, right? But to define something as a bad experience, for me, has not been true. Everything that's ever happened 
to me in my life that at the time was deeply traumatic and debilitating. You know, there's there's you know been only two times in my life when I contemplated suicide. Wow. You know, there's been two times in my life. The once was when my my uh, mother and father separated. When my parents broke up, and I, you know, I was 12, and you know, that was one of the only serious times in my life that I contemplated suicide. But even out of that, as I look back on that, the pain of that experience cultivated devotion in my life to my family, and I just never wanted to have my children suffer that. And of course, the you know, the, I got divorced from Cherie, so that was, I was recreating that situation, but it, it woke me up in a way that forced me to try to connect with my children. So the, the negative experiences or the things that were awful at the time there's always the other side of the coin. And in my experience, I've cultivated only positive things mm-hmm. out of the most negative experiences uh, of my life. My father's death um, and the six weeks up to my father's death was probably the most formative time in my life. And as painful as it was and as difficult it was and all the stuff that came up, during the time, I still, it was a powerful, formative, positive experience in my life. T- tell us a bit about that, if you don't mind, about yeah. why you felt it was formative. And, you know, we've talked about this, like the idea of like, sometimes people regret of what they did or didn't say to yeah, their yeah, parent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or maybe what they expected of their parent. What was it that was so powerful that allowed you to feel that way about that moment? Because I, I got a gift that some people don't get and it was that the doctors told us he had six weeks to live and then he lived for four months so most people you know most people don't get a warning you just get the call one day and you just you just didn't get a, a chance and when I found out that he was dying it just by the grace of God was in the middle of the shooting I was doing a movie called collateral beauty and it was about a guy dealing with the death of his daughter. So I was into the uh, Tibetan book of living and dying and um, reading all the, uh, was it Elizabeth Kubler, uh, just reading all of the, all this stuff about death. So I've been programmed for six months and I had read and studied all of these, all these books about death and grief and dying. And then I get the message, I, you know, I sat down with my father and I, of course I had all of my traumas and all of my issues and everything with him but I had also been I'm six months of programming of all of the things that you're supposed to do you know to prepare yourself for the death of a loved one you know so I, I sat with him and we we talked about everything so I said everything that I wanted to say and we we got to those six weeks we were clear but then he lived for another three months. So what happened was every meeting, every time I saw him, I was flying back to LA, but every, every time I saw him was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. 
And then every time we said goodbye, we made sure we said a good, thorough, full goodbye because we knew at any moment that could, it could actually be the last goodbye. But the lesson was, it's always like that. When we say goodbye, we can't know if this is the last time we will ever see. You should never greet someone casually or say goodbye to someone casually. And that lesson came from that experience. Every moment was so rich. Every time we saw each other, it was, and every time we said goodbye, we made sure it was a good, thorough, full goodbye. That's how you're supposed to live every day anyway. (laughs) Every time you leave your house could be the last time. You're supposed to be in the richness of your hellos and goodbyes and thank yous. You know, so I I learned that lesson um, with my father. And then when he when he passed, we were we were finished. Just the lesson of that kind of presence and that kind of attention and that kind of recognition that tomorrow's not promised. Getting shaken out of thinking that you're going to have tomorrow. Anybody who hasn't spoken to their parents or their brother, or their cousin that they had a thing with, or their ex and they don't talk anymore, call them right now. Don't think you're going to have a chance to call them tomorrow or next week. And it's like that, that opportunity with my father changed every relationship in my life. I, I've cleaned all of the relationships in my life to no regret. I do not want someone to be gone and I wish I had and wish I could have. And all, I'm, I'm just, I'm not doing that in my life. That's beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's just, hearing you say that, I think there's a lot of people who needed to hear that. And I'm hoping everyone's going to pick up the phone and yeah. message. And if that person's not here anymore, still write them a letter. Still, right, absolutely. Right? If they're not yeah. here anymore and you didn't get to say all of that, write a letter. Mm-hmm. Read it out to them. Yeah. Read it to a picture of them if that's what yes, it takes. Absolutely. Like, allow yourself to share yeah. and express. Yeah. Don't hold it in and hold it back because somehow that energy will still yeah. reach that person and that energy's left you too. So, absolutely. you know, even if you can't call someone up today, make yeah. sure you follow the same practice because mm-hmm. it's never worth it. And, and I love that idea of valuing each hello and goodbye and, and not taking it for granted or taking it lightly. You never know whatever's going to happen, yeah. right? You just have no idea. And unfortunately, we, <laughs> we, we see it. This, yeah. is, this is the, um, there's actually a beautiful, I, I don't know if we ever talked about this, there's a beautiful piece in the Mahabharata, mm-hmm. which is the Gita's a yeah. small part of. And... One of the students asked the teacher, he said, what's the most amazing thing in the world? And and the teacher responds and says, the most incredible, amazing thing in the world is that we see people leave all around us, but we never think it's going to be us. I never. (laughs) Like, so you see it and you have that moment again and again. And then you lose someone in your life and you think, oh, that could be me or that could be someone else. And you live like that for a day. Yeah. And then... The complacency sets back in. Absolutely. Uh, Tell us a bit about, you know, you've been studying world religions and spiritual paths for for a long time. Absolutely. And the first time I officially reached out to you and your team and everyone was because I saw that you'd been reading the Gita. Yeah. And the Gita was obviously the book that I read and studied so deeply and and fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And after having studied world religions myself too, and and I've I've had beautiful experiences reading the Bible and the Quran and and the Gita. And so when I saw you talking about it when you were in India, 
I was just like, wow, like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, I, I'm already a huge fan. Mm -hmm. I love Will Smith. Like, how is Will reading the Gita? I was like, how did that even happen? Yeah. And then when I got to know you and Jada and spoke to the family, I realized that you'd taken on a challenge to, like, study a world religion every year. Yeah. And tell us about that and what you learned along the way. What were some of the traditions that stood out in your journey? And, and what did you learn from them, whether it was the Kabbalah or even Scientology, all Absolutely. those, because you've shared so many beautiful lessons with me from what you've studied. Yeah. And I'd love to pass them on. I guess probably in the, the first 10 years of our marriage, that was uh, me and Jada's bonding. Every year we would pick a spiritual tradition and we would study it all, all the way through. But yeah, tell me about even why you and Jada decided to do that. When we got married, we were trying to decide what church we were going to get married and were we going to get married in Baltimore or Philly and what did, what did, who was going to be the, the priest. priest, you know. Jada didn't want to do any of that. Jada wanted for she and I to go to a mountain you know, pledge our love and devotion to one another, to God. I think the discussion about the, the religious background we would raise our children in is what came up uh, when we were, when we first got married. Um, and she grew up in a thing called the Ethical Society in Baltimore, and they would honor the, the different religions. And my background, I, I grew up, I went to a Baptist church. I went to a Catholic school. So I was surrounded by religious traditions growing up. And some, somewhere in that first decade of our marriage, we were like, oh, wouldn't it be hot if we could say that we had read cover to cover all of the major holy books? And we, we started with the, the Bible and I just remember seeing her Bible was marked. You know how I do my books yeah. now. You see how I'd like all my books are highlighted all the way yeah. through. And, you know, she completed the entire Bible seven months before me, right? <laughs> so now it's on, right? So then when it came to time for the, for the Quran, I was like, I, was, I wanted to win, yeah. right? <laughs> But, you know, so we would take a year yeah. and we would study all of these traditions as a, you know, really as a way of the two of us bonding spiritually and, and you know, intellectually around the concepts. And, you know, we went through Kabbalah um, and, uh, you know, Scientology. And re really what was happening is every time I would meet someone who was of a different tradition, I would allow that person to introduce me to what their yeah. uh, tradition was. Um, and then I did Ali. And so we circled back around to the Quran during, during that time. But we really just, we love the idea of spirituality and the study of the love of God. Mm. And we don't necessarily believe in organized religion. We believe that the organizations kind of jump ahead of the spirituality. You know, the, the, the church of Christ is very different than Christ, the, the, the steps that Christ actually walked. You know, so we started to notice uh, those kinds of differences. And we just we really just wanted to find the truth. Mm. 
you know, what is the truth? And you see how my whole family dives in. The kids are doing it yeah, yeah. now, you know, with the with the the Gita. And it's yeah. and it's really just just trying to find our way, yeah. you know, in in this world. Yeah. And 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 I and I love that and I was so fascinated by that myself because I saw that within myself. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw it with you and the family, I was I was so drawn to that yeah. because yeah, I think that a lot of what we're trying to figure out in today's world yeah. has been suffered for long enough yeah. in an internal way that when you're diving into these books of wisdom, there's just so much there to unearth yeah. because people have been through the same challenges for decades and decades and decades. The, the, the problems have already been solved. Yeah, <laughs> and lived, and lived for lived long enough. and solved, yeah. you know. Yeah. And what it, it, it's like... At the core, how you treat your neighbor is central, <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yet somehow people manage to twist, you know, in, in all the faiths and all backgrounds, totally. people do unto others as you would have them do unto you is very clear. Mm -hmm. If you ask yourself that question, well, in this situation, how would I have them do unto me? And you did that. You'd never have a problem. Yeah. Because the answer is never going to be, I think they should curse me out and spit on me and whoop my ass because I was tripping. It's, yeah. the, it's the most simple, yeah. yet, the, yet the most profound. <laughs> most profound. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. We'd, we, our teachers in the ashram would always tell us, and I've said this to you before, but they'd always tell us that these principles, you'll learn them on day one, mm -hmm. you'll think that you know them on day two, mm -hmm. but you spend your whole life trying to realize that. Yes. And, and that's yes. the challenge with us, that yep. we, we take what we learn on day one and what we know on day two to be like, I already know that. Yes, exactly. And then the, the teaching doesn't, what I love about what we've been doing is like, the teaching gets to like, reveal itself yes, yes, to yeah, you it's yeah. like it's always opening up it's like a lotus flower it's yeah. it's always blooming it's not like oh it's open now it doesn't matter yeah it's like always opening up to you and if you give it that time and patience mm -hmm. then you can truly see it grow and bloom into something but if you just if you just try and force it open it, it just i mean you know if you forced a flower open it would just break <laughs> yes, and, and exactly. that's what happens that what i say what i say to you all the time is you know, so to, to give people a, a sense of it. So we're, we were doing, you know, two to four hours a, a day, you know, you know, a few days a week for months. For months, yeah. For months, you know. And, uh, you know, I, we were spending as much time together as we were, would spend with our families or other things. So we, 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 We've logged some real hours yeah. in, this, in this last year. And the thing that was always amazing to me is that we could take eight hours, right? And we spend it and we get it and we study, we do all of that. And you leave my house and I pick up my phone. Like literally we would do eight hours. <laughs> and I'm great. I'm great. And you wouldn't be... Off of the sh off of the block, yet, and I pick up my phone and it's a business call and I'm like, oh, this m me must be literally that fast, like literally in in 
45 seconds, my mind could get triggered back into that, that mindset. You know, I, I, I know now that that's just, it's every day. Yeah. It's, you don't, you know, you don't get to know it and yeah. be done. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a daily practice for the rest of your life to be able to deal with the foolishness of this world in a way that's uh, productive and kind. Yeah. Now everyone knows I'm terrible at what I do. Well, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, as soon as you're out the door, it's like, oh, wow, like, Jay, you didn't, you, you're really bad at this. It's like, oh, Jay, you should have left Will with a little more girth <laughs> yeah, than that. I know. <laughs> you can't even last two seconds with that. That's terrible. But, well, you're, 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 you're working with years of, of sediment, you know. All of us, lifetimes, like, the yeah. conditioning is so strong. Yeah, yeah. And... It's, it's almost like when we start to do the work, mm -hmm. you're walking into a garden full of weeds. Yeah, yeah. So all the flowers are covered. Mm -hmm. all, all the beauty of the garden is covered in yep. weeds. Yep. And so you're cutting down the weeds. But because you've been watering the weeds for so long, they keep growing they back. Keep growing, yeah. And so you keep cutting them down and they keep growing back. And yeah. it's, it's the example, the analogy of the mirror that's given um, in the Vedic tradition around how when you walk in and you try and clean a mirror that hasn't been cleaned for lifetimes, it's dusty. Yeah. And so when you start cleaning it, the dust comes up in your face and you're like, oh, oh like, I can't see, I can't, yeah. I can't see. And that's what we're all going through. Yeah. And because we're so disconnected from nature, yeah. our mindset has become instant yeah. and our mindset has become now. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you watch nature, nature's never instant. Yeah. Like, I call that hunting versus farming. Right. Everybody, okay. Go <laughs> yeah. Hunting versus farming, where where people just let just let's let's get it, let's get it and eat. Right. <laughs> That's a great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. You know, versus no, we're gonna like we're we gonna to plant, plant the crops, the crops grow gonna, the, yeah. I love that. Yeah, because it's 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 the idea that if you if me and you said we want to plant a tree, you'd have to come back to that tree every day Absolutely. to see how it was doing. Yeah. And it wouldn't be a tree for many, many years, but you'd have come back every day, water it, sunlight, move it, replant the soil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we're doing with ourselves. But for some reason, because we're so disconnected from nature now, mm -hmm. we think that, oh, if I just meditate today, yeah. then it's, you know, it's like saying, oh, I'll eat today and I don't have to eat tomorrow. Uh, yeah, right. Like, or oh, I showered last week. <laughs> I showered last yeah. week. I'm good. I'm yeah. good. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, and I, again, it was your commitment. I remember when we were on that first phone call and I was like, you were like, oh yeah, I want to work on this. I was like, how much time do you have? Like, how, how much time do you have? And I, you know, you're Will Smith, so I'm thinking you don't have any time. And, and I don't know how serious you get yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not aware yet of how, how immersed and yeah. obsessed you get yeah. with stuff. I'm still learning about you. And then you're like, I've got two hours. And I was like, all right, two hours a week, two hours bi-weekly, two hours monthly. You're like, no, two hours a day. Two hours a day. <laughs> and I was like, wow, he's real. I was like, he's serious. I was like, I was like wow, he's, he's for real. And then, you know, it was just, it was, and I'd go away and you re-inspired so much of my own study. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was telling to you over Christmas, which is when we kind of broke off as I went to London and, and you, you've been traveling. It's like I spent the whole of Christmas reading myself for four to eight hours a day, meditating again. That's beautiful. Because I felt I had to be more to give you more. That's beautiful. And, and I think that that was such a gift you gave me where I fell back in love 
with what I fell in love with years That's ago. That's beautiful. Because of the work we were doing. Yeah. And because when you're answering someone's questions, you have to read deeper and think more and reflect mm -hmm. more. And so for me, I went away from those meetings going, gosh, I, you know, I better start reading more. <laughs> you know, it was, but it, that's what's so beautiful about sharing something yeah, like that together. Yeah. The, the central focus of my life and everything that I've done has been centered on having a successful love relationship, right? So I saw my parents when, when they were growing up and I hated that my parents... Uh, marriage deteriorated. And, you know, as young as I can remember, five, six years old, I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a family. I've never been the guy that wanted to do threesomes and groupies. And I, like, I just, I've never been that guy. I always wanted to commit, commit and have a single successful relationship. So, the, the, the scientist in my mind and in my study of spiritual texts and things like that, I've always been looking for the secret to um, successful love relationships. And then as I've grown, it's sort of expanded and I'm seeing the through line. Uh, oh, the same basic ideas are successful parenting and the same basic ideas are being a successful follower or a successful leader or a successful student. And I started to see the problem is almost exclusively a lack of understanding of the other person's perspective, mm. right? And if you have a difficulty with another human being, there's some point of ignorance and some point of delusion that are keeping you from being able- On both sides. On both sides. Right. And you are always bringing poison to the party. Mm -hmm. And if you can focus on locating and purifying the poison you brought, mm -hmm. it opens up entirely new avenues of connection and compromise and solutions that you can create with a person. You know, that has really been the the central focus of my life and being an actor has been spectacular in that way because my life is exploring my mind. Mm -hmm. You know, and changing it, right? When I play a character who believes something that I don't believe, I have to learn how to feel something that's in opposition to my truth, yeah. which is a spectacular skill set to have to uproot beliefs, yeah. implant new ideas, and have them blossom on camera at the right moment. Yeah. You know, it's been such a, a powerful um, inner process of development to explore acting in conjunction with spirituality and supreme absolute truth, you know, to explore that as my job yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> Everyone should be trained as an actor. I know, right? When you first said that to me, when you first said that to me, I was like, I never thought of it. And obviously I'm mm -hmm. not an actor, and so I wouldn't know that. But when you said that to me, I was like, wow, that's like how people should be taught how to be students. Right. Because the idea that you have the skill set, and it's mm -hmm. a skill, mm -hmm 
to put your beliefs aside yes. and go, I need to live by the beliefs that this character would die Absolutely, for. Absolutely, yes. Like, what would they be willing to die for? Yes. And then you're experimenting with it, and then yes. you can see whether you like it or not. Right, Absolutely. And how it feels, whereas yep. most of us are so grounded in our own beliefs that we don't know how to take that hat off right. and put another one on. Absolutely. And that's where all of our issues come from, because that story of someone else. Yeah. Someone that you know that did that extremely well in, in probably the, the most difficult circumstances with Nelson Mandela. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, you've spoke, we've spoken about it many times. Mm-hmm. You've spoken about it publicly many times. I found this clip of you guys together oh, that I love. No, yeah. That I love. Uh, that I have to show <laughs> oh, you. It's, it's a while ago, but it's, one of, it's, it's really... It's, I've watched this whole... I would watch the, anyone who's watching, you have to go watch the whole thing. I'm only showing Will a short <laughs> clip. Um, but, but it's this clip here. I, I don't know if you remember. I, I, was, I was saying to you, you know... I'm an actor. Yeah, what, the, 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 I, uh, I make rap music. That's what I do. What, what can I do? And, you know, I sat with Mr. Mandela and was so inspired. You know, you want to immediately, you want to quit your job. You know, you want to go out in the streets, you know, and you want, you want to fight. And, and, uh, you know, and he, he said, he said, no, you have to understand the power of what it is that you do. You have to understand the hope that is created by the work that you create. And, he told me that don't not to force it that the call would speak to me and um, today the uh, the call has, has spoken to me and I humbly gratefully and will aggressively respond and I thank you that's well all sitting yeah, yeah, on it yeah, oh wow wow Goodness, I've forgotten about that. Willow, that was irritating. <laughs> That's wild. Wow. I mean, there are so many I could show you. That was oh the one I picked. Goodness. There were so many. That's like, fantastic. Beautiful clips of you two together. Yeah, no, that was, uh, but I was sitting with Mr. Mandela. It may, it may have even been that day. And we were sitting, it was calm. He just had this look on his face. And I said, uh, what's that look on your face? And he was kind of looking, he was just watching people. I said, you know something that the rest of us don't know. <laughs> he definitely did. Yeah. Definitely. And he looked at me, and he, it, the look that I recognize now was, he said, oh. He was like, that's the right question. Mm. You know? And he said, um, you come spend some time with me, I'll teach you. Mm-hmm. And somehow I was so, I uh, just felt so unworthy of that. He reached out to me every year before he died. And, you know, he said, I'm an old man. You need to come spend some time with me. And I just felt unworthy, you know. Um, And he wanted to teach me what we're studying. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he he went, you know, I, I... I've, I've tasted a little bit of what he wanted to teach me. And the question is, 
how can you smile in this world? Mm-hmm. You know, because you're not going to change it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going you're gonna to do your part. But this world is chaotic and it's brutal and it can be really unloving. Mm-hmm. And how do you do your part with a smile on your face? Yeah. You know, yeah. and it was... Um, it's really beautiful. One of the few things, not not even, you know, I know things happened in their in their time, so it's not a not a regret, 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 <laughs> but it's like a regret. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I always say to you that it's the fact that you didn't go because you felt unworthy mm-hmm. is is a at least from the traditions I've studied, would be considered ex- extremely good spiritual qualification mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for learning. Yeah. <laughs> like, like when, when we think, it, it's weird, like spiritual life is like, it's teaching you self-worth without having low self-esteem. Yes, yeah, yeah, But it's, yeah. it's and you said it once in an interview, speaking about Nelson Mandela, you said like, you know, it's like being in his presence made you realize how small you were. Yes, yeah. But how big you could be. How big, yes. Right, you said that. Absolutely. And when I heard Damn, you say, I said that? Yeah, you I'm said. I'm gonna start saying that again. Yeah. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah, you said that, you said that. And, and it was, when I heard you say that, I was like, that is spiritual self-worth. Mm-hmm. Like, we live in a world today where self-worth or self-belief is all like, I'm the best, like, I, I own this, like, I'm worthy of everything. Like, of course Nelson Mandela wants to spend time with yeah. Will Smith. <laughs> like, that would, that's material self-worth. Yeah. But it's, it's fickle and it's boring and yeah. it's so, it has no base to it, it's baseless. Yeah. It, whereas that feeling of like, when, as you said, that when I'm with him or when I was around him, I realized how small I was, but how big I could be. Yeah, yeah. That's spiritual self-worth. Yeah. And I think people often con- confuse humility with weakness yeah, or yeah, with yeah, yeah. Uh, low self-esteem. Like, oh, well, you must have had low self-esteem. Right. But it's not. It's just the idea that I still have to evolve a little bit yeah. to feel like, and, and you know, you... To deserve his time and attention. Yeah. And because you, know? you had that, I feel, you know, you've continued in your way to find the... And, and he's still involved in your life. I yeah. think that's the beauty of it. Absolutely. If someone loves you that much, yeah. they don't stop, like your grandmother, yeah. she didn't stop being involved in your life. Absolutely. And, and I felt every time you've spoken about him that you brought him into my life mm-hmm. just by speaking about him uh, and, and now into everyone else's life even more. And, and, you know, I'm sure, you know, obviously I can't speak on his behalf at all, but all I can say is that his energy is still in your life Yeah, for sure. that's real. He lives through that you. That is so, real. Yeah, it's, uh, it's beautiful. But uh, I want to talk about a few more things before I let you go. There's, I could talk to you forever, so, and we do do that, so I won't do that today. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about when you mentioned, because this, I, have, I came back to this because this was the initial statement that was like, I need to get to know Will. Mm-hmm. And it was when you said that you were channeling your inner Arjun. Yeah, yeah. And, and you said that, and I was just like, what? I was like, but, but tell me about why Arjun as a character for you has been, because you even, and I think this is because of you and your storytelling, you even brought Arjun in my life, more to life. To mm-hmm. So tell me a bit about why Arjun was so synonymous with you. And You know, so for people that don't know, um, he's a, a wonderful archer. He's the best archer in the world. And his family trips out and take the kingdom. And they're like, you know, they snatch his wife and they're trying to disrobe his wife. And he's looking like, yo, what are y'all jokers doing? <laughs> like, and he comes home and he's like, and they seize the kingdom. And he can't believe 
that they have done this. And he, you know, he's a warrior. He could get he could get the kingdom back, you know, but these are his uncles and his his brothers in laws and his teachers and people that he loved and trusted. And they took his kingdom and they prepared an army and they're going to fight Arjuna. And he's he's devastated that his family and his friends and all of that for material gain would, would do this to him. And he's deeply pious. And they prepare an army, the greatest army that's ever been assembled, except that they don't know that God is driving Arjuna's chariot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? right? And they think they're going to tear through Arjuna. They're going to do all of this. But God is driving Arjuna's chariot, right? And even in that, he's like, how can me killing all of my family be the right answer, right? And on the other side of that, he's like, well, I'll just let them kill me. I'm not doing that. There's no version of me going into battle with them. I don't care how wrong they are. I don't care. And it's, and as I just got deeper and deeper into that story, it's like, I feel like that all the time. Yeah. Right? I feel like I'm in um, what Radhanath Swami referred to as a perplexing situation. Always. <laughs> Always, right? <laughs> that I feel stuck in a perplexing situation with people I love where there's not clean answers. And I always feel strong enough, like, if, if you, if you want to fight, we can fight. I know, I know how to fight, but that, how can that be the right thing, yeah. you know? And I just really related to um, how the Gita handles those kinds of perplexing situations and recognizing that's what life is. Mm -hmm. You are born into a perpetual perplexing situation. Yeah. And that the, the, it, was, it was the first time that I'd ever heard the spiritual idea like that, that life is a perplexing situation mm -hmm. and you're never gonna get around being stuck in the duality, you have to elevate above the, the whole thing, yeah. you know? And the, the Christian concept about that, that I, I always heard and never understood fully, and my grandmother would say all the time, you gotta let go and let God, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And, it was, and it was like that, it just, you know, the, the, the Gita filled in that concept of what it really means. It doesn't mean don't do anything. Yeah, yeah. Let go and let God doesn't mean don't do anything. It means do your divine duty, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. And just for whatever reason, the study of the Gita at this particular point in my, my life mm -hmm. really clarified a lot of ideas of how to move through a, a world where 
you almost can't do it right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And yeah. it's like there's a there's God's playing a practical joke. <laughs> right? And when you start seeing that there's a trick in there, yeah. you know, and the, the the Gita illuminated that trick for me in a way. I was like, how could I be the biggest movie star in the world, be the best at all of this, and you, how you not love me, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you know, how was my family miserable? Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's the trick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. the practical joke. That's beautifully yeah. explained. Because it's, it's the perception mm -hmm. of the right reaction. Yes. That's where we get lost, is yeah. that for us, something, what, going back to what you said at the beginning, you were like, there's no such thing as a bad experience. It's, right. We're looking at the result yes. of our activities absolutely. as a signal of how well we're living. Yes, absolutely. And that messes us up yep. because the result of your activities is not under your control. Yes, absolutely. And so if you're living your life based on the result of your activities being a signal that you're successful, right. you're setting yourself up to, absolutely. and all of us do it all the time. I was using Jada's reaction to my actions mm -hmm. as a measure of the quality of my actions. Yeah. And one thing has nothing to do to with the other. the other. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And that's, that's not what we're taught. And the concept that someone's reaction to your behavior is theirs and your behavior is yours. Mm -hmm. And when you try to marry the two, when you try to use the outcome as a measure of the quality of your own being, yeah. that is the kiss of death. Correct. The, this, the way that this material world works, you can do everything right. <laughs> and it still go wrong in terms of outcome. Yeah. And you can do everything wrong, and it still goes right. In the outcome. In the outcome. The outcome is not connected to the quality of your behavior. Mm -hmm. And that is such a hard idea yeah. to digest. So I am, I am certain and I am committed to being who I am and how I want to be without a craving for someone's approval. Because I know their approval doesn't have anything to do with me. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we get stuck in these situations where we're seeking the approval of someone for our self-esteem. Yes. <laughs> self-esteem yeah. is about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right? Absolutely. But we start looking to other people for our self-esteem. And, you know, sometimes we find ourselves looking in broken mirrors mm. to get a reflection of ourselves. Mm. Right? Yeah. And the greatest tragedy is when you look into a broken mirror to see if you're pretty. And you're going to let that person tell you about your inner qualities. And the, the greatest tragedy 
is when you look in a broken mirror and you're going to change your face to try to look good in a broken mirror. Man, whoo, I'm so glad to be free from that. <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah. That was, yeah, that is incredible. And, that, and that's it. That's, that's, that's literally it. Yeah. Like when you can free yourself from that cycle. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's a trap. It's, it's rough. It's crazy. It's, it just keeps you there. And um, to see you at this stage in your career to still be growing, still be pushing. Yeah. I mean, for people who don't know, like I, I have to share this because it's what I find. And this is the only time I get to tell everyone. <laughs> is, uh, you know, like for me to see you on set Busy, like, you know, I mean, for anyone who's never been on set, it can be a stressful environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, it's high pressure. Like, you're right. acting. You've got to know your lines. You've got to interact. And The sun's and going down. The sun's going <laughs> down. <laughs> Will would literally come back in the trailer and he'd be reading mm-hmm. in between being on set. So reading spiritual texts, spiritual books mm-hmm. in between. And I, w- I just saw that and I was like, wow, like, you know, it takes so much... Uh, effort and determination and hunger yeah. to be filling each and every gap with growth. Yeah. And so for anyone who's listening to this podcast while they're driving to work, while they're commuting, while they're editing a video, however you're consuming this podcast, I want you to know like you're doing that same thing. You're committing to growth. Committing to growth. In your gaps when you could just be doing something else. Like you yeah. could have been in your trailer I don't know, doing what people do in their trailers. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what people do in their trailers. No, that's my past, Jay. Oh, yes. I don't, don't do that in my trailer no more. Yeah. I'm in there by myself now. Yeah. All with me. Yeah. And, you know, and we were, you know, and just, I would see that dedication. And I think mm-hmm. if, you know, to find time in between when you're filming a movie and it's, you know, big budgets and all this, te- everything, and your, your, your focus was here. Yeah, yeah. Your focus was here. Yeah. Even in amongst all of that, that was truly inspirational. And, uh, you know, that, that behind the scenes look at your, your internal journey is, has had such a big impact on my life. Wow. It's, it's a no excuses journey. Yeah. There's only one thing to do, and that's to learn, mm-hmm. right? To, we have to free ourselves from the, the darkness of our own ignorance. You wouldn't call some, something a problem if you understood it. Mm-hmm. The problem is you don't understand it, yeah. <laughs> right? That's why you're calling it a problem, yeah. right? You don't, you don't call things problems that you have complete comprehension of. Mm-hmm. The process of freeing yourself from your problems is in constantly cultivating a broader comprehension of the deeper truth of what's actually happening, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things that I learned is that if I feel bad, if I'm unhappy, if I'm upset, if I'm disrupted or disturbed, the only thing that could do that is my ignorance. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that creates misery is you slip into a sort of hopelessness Mm -hmm. of not being able to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Life is school, you know? You're not getting the promotion you want at work. That's school. Get it, figure it out, you know? Someone in your family is sick. Mm -hmm. 
that's school. That's like life is the greatest teacher there is. You just have to be willing to learn and recognizing that your pain and your suffering is the thing that the universe is poking at. So you recognize that's where you're ignorant. Yeah. You wouldn't be having those struggles in those areas if you had a deep, broad comprehension of the fundamental realities of those situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, so beautifully said. Again, it's we're programmed to believe that life is for enjoyment. Right. But actually, it's for education. It's for education, yes, and, absolutely. And we keep seeking enjoyment in yes. the education. Yes. So we're trying, yep. we think we're in a candy shop, yep. but we're in a classroom. Yeah, I call that the poisoned honey scenario, right? right? You're, yeah. you're seeking enjoyment. You want something sweet, and you don't recognize that that honey's poisoned, yeah. right? It's going to be sweet going down, but it's, you know, the, the kickback on that thing is something terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we see that. We see that in, we've talked about this concept before, and you brought it up. You were like, you know, the sacred clown yeah, has yeah, always yeah, yeah. been the emblem and the symbol. Yeah. And, and again, it's, a, it's God's gift where you get to entertain, make people laugh, but yeah. you want to help people grow through that. Absolutely. And, and that's really hard to do, but you do, yeah. that's you. That's who you are. Tell us about how that's now coming through in the work you're doing, like how you've actually brought this into reality because mm-hmm. sometimes it can feel very heady. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. you've really been working hard on taking it out of the head, into the heart, and into the world. Yeah. Yeah, and that was that. That was one of the things about Aladdin that was so defining for me, you know. And that that concept of the sacred clown, I had written that down in one of my books, you know, five or six years ago. And it's like at my core, that's it's either who I am or who I want to be. But it's in there. It's it's, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's in there really deep. And in playing the genie, it was like. Oh. That I was at home, right? That combination of fun, light, silliness, and that's who I want to be in the world. I want to be singing and dancing and being silly and playing and all of that, and then sneaking the ideas <laughs> in, you know, under the joy. But I had heard that, I think it was the, the, the Lakota... Yeah. Indians or something yes, like that, that the that Native Americans. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they had the, the image of the sacred clown. Which is often considered negative. Yeah, like right, some, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's like I connected to it. It's like, oh, that's right. That's what, that's what the singing and dancing and all of the joy and all of the smiling and all of that is for. It's a, just a beautiful conduit for the, the ideas. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's just... Just at my core, that's I'm I'm happiest in that space. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I could talk to you for hours, and we will. Yeah, well, I'm sure we but will. But I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna <laughs> ask you what I call the final five. These are yeah. one word answers. One word. One answers. word to okay. one sentence. The fast five. Well, okay, fast uh, five. Will Smith, these are your fast five. The first is: What is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received. The first day I got on uh, the tour bus when we were leaving for the first time, leaving Philly, me and Jeff and all our squad, the last thing my grandmother said as the door was closing, 
She said, uh, hey, lover boy, remember, be nice to everybody you pass on your way up because you just might have to pass them again on your way down. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I, that, that always yeah. stuck with me. I love that. That's mm-hmm. great. All right, second question. What's the worst advice you ever received? The worst advice? <laughs> My boy Charlie Mack. <laughs> Charlie Mack told me, he said, hey, man, listen, listen, listen. The way you make a woman love you, to make a woman love you, you, you take out the dinner, you know, and then as you're going out to place, you just knock somebody out. Because a woman got to know you could defend her. You just knock somebody out. And if you knock, if you knock, I mean, it could be a stranger, but you just, you just knock somebody out and she see your strength and that's how she'll feel confident and it, it changes everything. It changes your sexual life. It just changed everything about it. But you, you got to get them good and just knock somebody out. <laughs> Did you try it? No. Yeah, no, I never, never, yeah. never tried <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. I love that. Oh, man. If you would if have tried it, I yes, could, yeah. Yeah, no, I never tried that. I kind of felt that that was bad advice in yeah. the moment. Third question. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing you learned from observing the life of Julius Irving and uh, Muhammad Ali. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so Julius Irving was like the man went right, right in the heart of my childhood. The 76ers won the championship in 1983 in a four-game sweep of the Lakers. It was heaven. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Dr. J was in everything in Philly. And I would say the, the, the single thing with Doc is he was always dignified. No matter what somebody said, no matter what somebody did, he got in one fight in his entire NBA. Wow career, but the idea that he was just perfectly still and uh, he was an exquisite, well-spoken gentleman. Mm. He was a killer on the court, (laughs) (laughs) but he was just exquisitely elegant and peaceful Mm. while at the same time doing the thing. And that balance of those two things I always thought was spectacular. I love that. That's beautiful. Man. Yeah. Oh, I, you said yeah, Ali. Ali. Yeah, yeah. Um, you guys spent so much time yeah, together. There's yeah. some great interviews between oh, you yeah, two as yeah. well. Oh, Ali, Ali was hilarious. One of the things, so Ali would just come to set. He would walk around. He would walk away and just get on a bus. we say, yo, where's the champ? And he would get on a bus and just ride a city bus and just ride with people. No idea where the bus is going, nothing, no security, anything like that, right? And he was engaged with people in a way I'd never seen anybody. Wow. Like, as famous as he was, he, he engaged with people in that way. And I would say the total and utter submission to God. Mm. He, he looked like he was arrogant but he, it was it was the yeah. other way it was like he was talking like that and acting like that because he was so utterly submissive mm. to the will of god mm. and that combination it just really inspired me with how i wanted to be with people in the world and i asked him chant why do you you just walk away with people like that and you know he said, oh, man, you got to let these people see you. 
He said, they, they ain't never seen nothing like you before. <laughs> you, got to, you got to get out there and you got to touch them so they know you real. People can't aspire to stuff that they don't think is real. You know? <laughs> you know? And it was like he was just so in tune with what he was. The seemingly arrogant humility was, was a beautiful combination. I love that. All right, question number four. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's the biggest lesson you've learned in the last 12 months? In the last 12 months, I would say the, the, it's that ignorance and evil are twins. They look, you, look at, you look at them and they look, they look just alike, mm. except that ignorance can be educated and evil is a much more difficult problem. And I would say I learned, uh, fortunately, that ignorance is much more prevalent than blatant evil. Mm. If that, if that great, makes sense. That's a great yeah. answer. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot. I mean, that makes so much sense. We have to have a whole episode yeah. about that. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. Fifth and final question. Mm-hmm. If you could create one law in the world that everyone had to follow, what would it be? It would be that you have to repeat back what you heard the other person say before you're allowed to say what you think. That the the law is you're not allowed to respond to what someone said until you repeat back what you heard and the person has multiple opportunities. No, 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 that's not, I didn't, that's not what I meant. And until you repeat back accurately what the person said, you don't get to talk. That is a great law. <laughs> I love that principle. It helps in every area every, of life. Yeah, yeah. We, our minds go way off the deep end with what we heard somebody say. And our response, well, first of all, we're not really listening. Because mm-hmm. we, we already know what we want to say no matter what they say. Mm-hmm. And, and we go really way off the deep end. I, I, I was shocked and surprised by how far... Mm-hmm. we can be from what someone actually said to what we heard. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that so broken mirror. That yeah. broken mirror, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Will, you're amazing, hey, man. I love this. You. Thank you for being so generous with your time no, and just dude. always showing up with your heart and soul. And You're my guy, I, so it's I, whatever. I, you, you I, know. This is special, though. I, I really... I really felt that after last year came to a close and all the work we did, I think this was a nice way of encapsulating this yeah, chapter. Yeah, yeah, And then we start the new chapter this year. Let's go but get But this it. felt like a good for me, like just uh, just hold that sacred space of, of everything that we did over the last year and then and then to start afresh again. So, I love it. Yeah, thank you, man. My Appreciate guy. you. This podcast was produced by Dust Light Productions. Our executive producer from Dust Light is Misha Youssef. Our senior producer is Juliana Bradley. Our associate producer is Jacqueline Castillo. Valentino Rivera is our engineer. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. And special thanks to Rachel Garcia, the Dust Light Development and Operations Coordinator. Mm-hmm.